Weird Things is brought to you by patreon.com slash weird things. Support the show. Hello and welcome to the Weird Things podcast, the best podcast ever with three hosts. I'm Andrew Main, joined by Mr. Brian Brushwood. Hello, hello. And Bryce Castillo. Hello, everybody. It's just the three of us, like it always is. Yep, yep. It's a a good number. Nice round number. It's a magic number. Yeah. It's like a triangle, and it's really, that triangle's very strong. Yeah. Seems like adding any more people would just make us real weak, real floppy. (laughs) We was like, oh, I can't. Uh, I. I love this crazy age we are in, um, and and it is both exciting and terrifying. If you were, you know, you were an FTX, you know, pers- person, you know, having stuff in there, maybe not so cool right now. And you know, crypto world's kind of crazy all over the place. It's still a fascinating thing, and I think we're all, I think we're all long term bullish on crypto here, but yeah. short term is when chaos reigns. Um, but I was going to talk about that, but yeah, that was that was certainly you know an interesting thing. We'd probably be doing after things about um, the short story is the the future is going to be a lot, and it's going to be a lot of fast things happening. There's not going to be any kind of I don't think we're going to get a calm or a quiet. Yeah, uh, there, there, I, I'm very very far out peripheral to the FTX story, but the um, uh, the gist of it, as I understand it, is of the many cryptocurrencies that they were running, there is one that hackers were able to inject code to. And uh, I, I tend to gravitate to the human story, including the fact that this 30-year-old entrepreneur lost $15 billion overnight. And yeah. that's a whoop. Wow. Yeah, I mean, there's several things happened. First was... There was questions were they solvent? They said they had solvency. They said that they they said everybody's accounts would be liquid, and then it found turned out apparently that there's a sister company that SBF Sam Beckman Fried owned called Amuta Research. Apparently, again, they had loaned FTX had loaned billions of dollars to that company to trade on and in, made a in number the form, of bad trades in the form of FTX bucks, right? Yeah, they're specifically well, owned, but you, yeah, but using their people's money right they they created another currency that they controlled and they gave it to that and then that was converted or whatever but point is like it's you know there may be a maybe a completely innocent explanation for all but it was just just crazy but i was gonna say the point like this is a company that you know a few years ago didn't exist then out of nowhere i'd go through san francisco and i would see ftx signs everywhere with his face on it which you know is is sometimes a warning sign but uh (laughs) You know, you saw that everywhere, and they were like a big, like the second biggest crypto exchange. And this and is not the first time this has happened in crypto either. I I remember it was it Mt. Gox, MTGOX, that. Well, that was a theft. That was an outright. Sure, but that was also just the situation unvol- unpacked very quickly in terms of people's money no longer being available. And I guess so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If 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 you're not somebody who's actively mining, or you're just treating it like uh, any other kind of forex exchange. Like let's say you're you know sixty years old playing with retirement funds, functionally, <laughs> both of those are overnight money goes away phenomenons. Yeah, yeah in FTX the case was they were offering people eight percent to put your money in there, and told you it was safe, so you'd be making eight percent interest per year. And so you had people who weren't necessarily 
trying to be trading that just wanted the idea of the security of being able to do that. But uh, I guess I would say is like the thing that I thought about, I knew crypto was going to be big in the scale of it. And this was something I think I said like two years ago was that there was like, you know, a, a 30 million or 50 million or some hundred million dollar, $400 million heist. And it never made the headlines. It was in news, but it was just, oh, by the way. And I'm like, if that happened in a traditional bank or anywhere else, that would be everywhere. But because it's yeah. that magic land of crypto, it doesn't get the same level of attention, which one tells you the scale of things there. And also, you're not hearing a lot of people crying, which there are. But I mean, there are people affected by it. Sorry. But it was like, ah, it's just a, it's, it, it's a weird. Wait, wait, and and uh, uh, crypto has the, the reputation of being speculative the moment you set it set foot in the door. Right. So it's a little bit tougher to especially also crypto tends to attract younger demographics. So storytelling wise, again, this is broad brush here, but uh, we, we, we tend to less boohoo about 20 year olds who got wealthier than we are. And then now are back to our level <laughs> that we yeah. do about, you know, retirees yeah. losing their savings. It's, it's a little bit of like the pivot to video math, right? Like 400 and what was the number? $473 million went missing. Well, like, what, how much money was that when it got in, when it went into the to the service at first? Or, or because or, there was such a bubble. I mean, this is a, this is a boom and bust currency. Well, and uh, as is, uh, I guess if we want to really go to the ten thousand foot view, you know, like even like who's boohooing for Meta stock? Like the the people, mm. yeah. What is stock but faith in a company, and then the company missteps or something well, doesn't perform well? Well. Um, I guess when, I mean, when there are a lot of retirement funds. I mean, that's there's a lot like that. There's a lot of retirement funds and stuff that are new. And also, too, like I would say that I've I've known I know a financial advisor uh, who said like, yeah, who told me like, yeah, I'm telling my, my you know, I talked to him a year ago. So it's like I'm telling my clients they should put like 10 percent or 20 percent of their assets in crypto. And I'm like, that's a lot. That's, seems- you know, like maybe that's your ratio of like I I'm like, I think let's figure things out a bit more because it sure. just seems so volatile. Well, uh, I also, uh, Oh, sorry, sorry. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, just let me get this quick plug in. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm, I'm rereading. I'm now on my third lap of, of a book that I've recommended before, but the psychology of money and forgive me, I can't remember the author's name, but it's so, so good. It was originally a series of blog posts repurposed, made into a book. So each chapter is completely self-contained and, um, even, crypto for as rubbery and and bonkers as its volatility is uh morgan housel is the guy's mm-hmm. name uh even that if you dollar cost averaged you'd probably end up winning um dollar cost averaging is magic we'll talk about it in after things uh but uh i don't know if you would have if you got in 18 months ago <laughs> like that i would say that Right, but but we got many more years to go yeah. if you bought well, I, a crypto index fund and dollar cost average over time. Well, I'm saying is, I guess what I'm saying is we have tons of stock market data uh, historically to look back and to see how that works. Crypto, we don't. We don't kind of know. That's my that's my concern is for like a person who's a conservative investor to look at like, yeah, like here's this, this is so erratic. We don't have a 10-year history to look back and say, is it cyclical, whatever? We haven't seen how it survived or such. That's why I'd be hesitant. Well, uh, yeah. is, the important part is I cut off Bryce. Oh, yeah. <laughs> is, is there, outside of this, the, the specific crypto angle, is it, um, I, I, I'm not as bullish on, on crypto necessarily, but is there an element of people getting bilked out of their money in this? 
Is there a major element of that? Because the money is there's money's coming from somewhere in a Ponzi scheme. That money moves up from generally. Well, uh, I mean, this remember, is a very FTX fraud thing. was FTX was an account. You right. just say I'm going to deposit fifty thousand dollars, put my paycheck in there, and then be able to use it to trade crypto or whatever. Sure, and not just their coins, all coins. And uh, again, outside of FTX specifically, but in general, yeah. like it for for. Uh, the losses of crypto come from somebody else. It's not even necessarily that like a coin or a business did bad. I mean, mismanagement aside, it's just it's money. It's it's changing cur- currencies, and it. Uh, I don't know if people are more likely to be, or I don't know. Well, uh, the, let, there have been let, scams let, and let me, get rich quick schemes for decades let forever me, let me, yeah let me let me float a uh metaphor metaphor incoming um uh i think it's uh, i think all three of us would agree that uh, crypto is a frontier and i suspect that all frontiers are defined by um uh inefficiencies or um uh uh, 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 uh inelasticities or uh, mm-hmm. uh Frontiers, there's always scams in every frontier when nobody knows the terrain and you're relying on whether it's a local uh, indigenous person to who promises to lead you the right path and not take you to an alligator den or whatever, Mm -hmm. or whether it's a a new housing in a booming market, whether it's a new type of currency, gold rush, Uh, I would imagine a lot of, as they often say, the people who got rich during the gold rush were the people selling the shovels, not, not the people finding the gold. Yeah. Uh, it's, I don't know, just, I, I feel like between, between all the crypto stuff and then, you know, uh, apps, I'm about to get, I'm going Andy Rooney on apps today. (laughs) Uh, but things like, you know, whether it's a Robin hood or, or, or a, uh, a, a Bitcoin app, so, you know, it has become easier to use this very technical investing, you know, I mean, investing to, is serious and there are kind of hoops you normally have to go through for like the wall for Wall Street. Um, I, 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 I wonder if this is something where regulation may actually make crypto better or not, or a set of rules that people choose to abide by. I, I suspect but that I regulation, good good regulation is based on a robust data set, and frontiers are defined by a spare, a spare data set is about as mm. close as I want to wander into that discussion. <laughs> I, I, I think that, I, I think that the, for me, the problem is, is if you listen to Sam Bankman-Fried when he lectured you know, Congress on why crypto was more open and transparent than what happened in 2008. It's hysterical and sad because it's like, well, you know, we're open, what we're doing now, it turned out none of that apparently was true. Um, Had the system worked the way people want it to and the idealists in crypto say, then yes, it would have been. You would have known their transactions. You would have seen this, but people didn't care. And that's what I think my my, kind of my issue, I get into Mm. people where I'm like, I'm very into crypto, the concepts of this, blockchain technologies. I'm a big fan of where they could be but people right now, I talk I talk to a lot of, through my work, I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs and other people like this. And I'm like, I'm getting the same spiel I get from somebody from Amway who just sees money there and isn't really thinking like, okay, so do you have this thing in place? Well, no, but we could. Right. And But we know we don't have to because our customers don't really care because it's this is they're buying on impulse and emotion. And that's the thing that's like, that's the thing that's frightening to me is that regulation may come in when we don't want it. You know, it, it should have been, can it self-regulate faster to prevent? 
because there's you know there's talk now Wart just going to do digital dollars and things like that and so that's yeah. my fear is that is it will it will get regulated in a way that's just not going to be helpful for it in the long run because of the opportunists and people weren't putting in things in place that could have uh, this this kind of reminds me of an, another previous book that we've talked about is uh, the founders uh, one of the founders of or the founders of the Ansari X Prize um, uh, abundance where they talk about how tournaments are kind of magical because all of the failures subsidize the success. And essentially what you do is you put a retail price of $10 million to whoever can go to space twice or, you know, the equivalent of a hundred million dollars to fly across the Atlantic. And a lot of people fail, but each, but in the background, everybody's watching all of the failures and learning from them. And what I suspect is we're just at a phase with crypto right now where uh, first we knew don't get your dollars stolen. Thank you, uh, uh, other guys. And now we know don't listen to liars. <laughs> okay, sure. now yeah. that's two down. The 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 model you described, by the way, there that's the same as TikTok and YouTube. Is that like you know? And even like I was talking to somebody this weekend about publishing or screenplays. I said the problem with screenplays is there's going to be like a half a million screenplays will be written. And maybe a couple thousand will actually get purchased. And so if you average the average amount of time spent by all humans on it, it's maybe one dollar per hour or less that, you know, but you don't get that dollar per hour and you work on it. Somebody else gets that big pile because only one screenplay can you know, take right. that place. Well, and, and so there's a lot of markets. And it, well, and if I'm understanding the hierarchy right, you you know much more about this than I do, Andrew. I'd be curious to uh, to know if I'm reading it right. So let's let's call it a dot for every screenplay that somebody writes. Uh, it comes out to a dollar an hour, then you get sort of uh, a good justification for a middle area of like the the writers guild, the WGA or or what have you, where uh, you're going to write like there are there are writers who make very good upper middle class livings who never have anything make it to screen, but they're part of this this class, this tier, this. A dirty word, cabal, uh, 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 cartel, uh, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. But but the point is, is they 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 all stand together so that uh, uh, everybody can make a middle class living uh, pitching ideas, regardless of whose ideas actually make it to the screen. Yeah, um, and and just the challenge is that 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 helps sort of make sure that the studios pay fair wages, etc. The problem is still it's for every screenwriter who sold a screenplay last year, you know, there's 5,000 that didn't, <laughs> you know, and that's, that's the, mm -hmm. you know, it just, it just, and that's but, not it's a problem, but that's just sure. the way the, the system works. Sure. And, but also, I guess in comparing this to say crypto, um, you know, a, a writer, a writer's personal journey to sell, you know, their product or a product that they're on um, feels more self-contained at least from the broad strokes versus getting other people's money involved, moving other people's mm -hmm. money around, you, which you, is, you, you know, you, you need a lot of trust, a lot of safety. There should be, you know, all of the things like, like you said, Andrew, like if crypto was what the, is pitched as, then these things could have, would have solutions. You'd be able to trace, find where that money went, figure out a way to get it back, but we're not even there yet. So how, so, uh, I, I get I get the speculative nature of it, but it's but I do think it is distinct from going to Hollywood and trying to make it work. Well, and 
even Hollywood, though, I kind of I kind of like this parallel uh, was at one point a hundred years ago, a frontier, a literal frontier. That's why Hollywood exists is because people wanted to cheat the patent that Thomas Edison had on moving picture shows. So they would shoot stuff in Mexico and then bring it across the border. That's the reason that all of the dollars on every old silver screen classic are Mexican dollars. Um, So but also even in that self-contained narrative, there's somebody who has a story and wants to pitch it. They have to go to the frontier, and that's the land of casting couches, of bad deals, of of stories where Humphrey Bogart had to buy his own clothes and spend all of his money to look fashionable because the studio wouldn't back up his uh, star-studded persona. It, it, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, no, it's it's frontiers. They're filthy. They're dirty. They're awesome. They're awful. They're great. Waiting for the awesome yeah, part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, eventually it got awesome for, for, for those, you know. A little for, confetti for showed up on my phone when I lost all my money. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, another frontier is supporting this podcast. That's right. Yeah, nobody has ever done it. How come not one of you have ever paid us even $1? I defy anybody listening to my voice right now yeah. to prove that they've supported us in any way whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Here we are, alone on the backside of the moon. Welcome from the moon's butt. All uh-huh. we asked is for $1, and so far not one person has paid it. You Nobody. can be the very first person. Head on over to patreon.com slash weirdthings. Get your own RSS feed. Get access to our after things after things segment. Yep. Sorry, I spat and I take it over, Bryce. You can listen to after things a few days earlier than everybody else. You can uh, get access to our Diamond Lounge in the Discord uh, in our special Diamond Club Discord. If you want to get email updates on when podcasts come out, check it out. patreoncom things. Support the show, Brian. Uh, how much? How much Splash Zone damage? Uh, I had I had a salad, and so. Uh, Boy, I don't know where that guy's been hiding out. Oh boy, that's that's. Oh, call him Ranch because he's dressing everybody. <laughs> so you know who may come out ahead is Michael Lewis, who apparently had been shadowing Sam Bankman Fried, Michael Lewis, Liars Poker, all those things, Moneyball, etc. That writer, no he'd been kidding. shadowing Sam Bankman Fried. Already got the book deal and the movie deal. Already got it. <laughs> uh, uh, did, uh, question: uh, Did the deal happen before or after the crash? <laughs> It turns it turns out uh, we found I, the real killer. I mean, the news <laughs> broke to, the news broke today. So today, so he he probably was probably was pitching it, and then they're like, somebody says, "We need this now." Now that we know how it ends, yeah, man, that's gonna be that that'll be an interesting story. It'll be it's a good story. It just needs an ending. <laughs> Bring you know that new ending you're looking for. <laughs> well, listen yeah. to this. Hollywood's just bringing in. <laughs> They just bring in the Enron guy. I know they are. That's what I saw. That one of the F- one of the people who was like managing the FTX sale or whatever they're doing was working on Enron. Oh my god. Oh, that's right. Uh, the liquidation I, lawyer. Yeah. I have a I have a friend who teaches a class at Pepperdine called Accounting for Non-Accounting Majors, and so every year I go talk. Last month I went in there and spoke with Michael Shermer, and a little name drop there for you. Um, and. Uh, Every year I see the same part. He talks about the Enron and he shows, I don't know if, can't lay, what was the other guy? There was the guy whose job was to basically run, like CFO for finances for Enron, but also CFO for this company that they owned that was trading with it and buying up these things. And he's like, like they asked, was that a conflict of interest? Is no. When I'm in this role, I do my fiduciary duty to them. And I'm over here, I do my fiduciary duty to them. And it's like, that is like, 
And I've heard, I heard once heard an agent say that to me and I kind of like lost it. Cause I'm like, that's, that's that the definition talk. of conflict <laughs> of interest. Yeah. And that's apparently was like Sam Bankman Freed had this investment firm, all of research. And then he had FTX and then apparently he's like, other, well, right? we'll see. I, That'd be, be wrong, exciting story. Could be case of mistaken identity. And you know, yeah, I'm going to get the Ugh. stage playwrights to the story. We're going to do it the, yes. the in the bard's tongue. I'm going to I'm going to not get any rights at all and just do a podcast on it. <laughs> the official FTX podcast. Try and stop me. <laughs> With what money, so, jerks? <laughs> I want to I want to change it to some positive sort of topics here. Nice. Uh, I heard about uh, the on our Space Watch. The latest company that I'm excited to see what's going to happen. And they've got some pretty good people attached to them, including Alan Stern, who was the lead of the New Horizon mission to Pluto. And that is Helicity Space. So H-E-L-I city space.com. Please tell me Helicity. it is a city on a giant helicarrier in the vein of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, <laughs> where they figured out that they could take off rockets from a helicarrier and they're already closer to space. Powering humanity's the, the helium for helium. Oh, uh, uh, okay. yeah, I'll, I'll still take it. A balloon takes you most of the way to space, <laughs> and then the rocket nope. goes. Um, we've got a. Uh, there's a render here. What are we looking at, Andrew? Is this? They're working on fusion engines to power deep space space exploration. Whoa. Okay. 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 Uh, uh, if I may, if I may, um, there was. I want to say back in 2009, 2010. Mm-hmm. Uh, back when the idea of any amount of autonomous driving for any vehicle sounded bonkers. Uh, There was a Cato Institute podcast I was listening to where uh, one of the lawmakers from Congress was saying, yeah, we're already planning the laws. That's how inevitable this appears to us, that 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 we need to start legislating. So the fact that somebody is doing a startup based on a technology that does not yet exist is, is not yet or does not yet uh, exist at the efficiency that it needs to be to make this work is, is not bonkers. That's, may I remind you how uh, Bill Gates ran Microsoft? He was like bloated code, as bloated as you want. Eventually, po- uh, processors will get fast enough to, to run it. Yeah. Is, is that what we're looking at uh, with, with, with that kind of like uh, shoot first, then aim? I think their strategy is let's just start thinking about this now and start developing it. So, yeah, I think in a sense of like try to get there, what what problems do you need to solve? Because a lot of times, you know, the engineering comes down to the little details. It's like, oh, we figured out that we could build this thing, but we just need a material that let us contain it in, you know, like, you know, space elevators, you know, our, our fun thing to talk about. They were entirely a theoretical concept until graphite and buckyballs and those materials until we realized, oh, we we have found a material that might make this possible. And so the materials question wasn't a matter of, is it possible? It's just, well, do we have the engineering resources to make that happen? Yeah. So now, how, how do they get some of their numbers? Like, I'm looking at one screen here on their website saying, imagine going to Mars four times faster, only two months, large spaceships, abort capabilities, no need for planetary alignment. Is the, they're... So they're expecting this is not only more efficient, but just friggin' faster, too. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, I think the magic, it's the power of the magic word, if. If <laughs> well, yeah. we get fusion, and, and there's no reason that we can't. It's an, as, as Andrew pointed out, it's an engineering, not a, a breakthrough problem. Like, we look up at the sun. We know, we know fusion is possible. We just got to figure out how to uh, engineer our way to it. But 
I guess I I assume what they're pitching is if we get it, (laughs) then then we'll be doing that much faster than any kind of chemical plan. They say Mars in two months, Jupiter in a year, Pluto in three years, interstellar medium in 10 years. That would be the the time it takes to get to those destinations. Um, Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm down for it. Hell, I mean, if it it could make me a pizza too, I mean, put it in the kitchen sink. Well, so so are they uh, are they accepting funding right now, or they're privately funded, or what's the story here? I'd imagine they're. I, I'm not sure what stage they're in right now, but I presume um, you know you're always you're always trying to get funding. So mm. I, mean, uh, I imagine this won't be cheap. Yeah, no, they ju- they just have a, a a wait list at the moment. So publicly, this is just. Uh, uh, just talking. We're just talking about fusion, and I mean, wh- is there is well, okay, this is this is speculative now, but is now it's speculative? <laughs> are, are the conditions for fusion, human, uh, you know, human activated fusion process, are they that much better in space? It, like, are we going to see the fusion rocket engine first, or the terrestrial fusion power generator first? Uh, let, let, let me take a stab at it. Or is and that I, missing I the trust boat. Andrew to correct me on this. Okay. So understand this is Brian talking. Brian knows far less about this than Andrew. I want to hear Andrew's real answer. But as I understand it, um, the most expensive thing, like when, when your spacecraft is made partly of fuel and you need more fuel to move more mass, all of a sudden, like what you really want is antimatter. You want the most potential energy in the least amount of mass and uh, helium uh, infusion would be orders of magnitude more efficient than anything we've been able to do so far. Hmm. Does that sound right? Yeah, I think that in, in order of operations, like I think this is much further out than if we're able to solve commercial, I mean, like terrestrial fusion energy. Like there are not a lot of details here because I keep looking through here to go like, well, the obvious answer is, and I don't know, because I don't know, they haven't really described you know, the way that what, you know, their fusion rocket would do, uh, yeah. you know, traditionally, because there are different ways that you can use it, use fusion to then superheat a medium that you then eject out the back of it. And that's traditionally like you can put a chemical fuel or whatever, you know, put water, anything you want, and then it superheats it and ejects it. So I'm assuming that it's a, tra- a tradition, a conventional futuristic <laughs> fusion system mm. where it just generates so much heat that you then use to basically superheat whatever propellant you want to use yeah uh i actually i i just now remembered that i read a story that i don't know if either of you guys happen to have read this week um okay can i introduce the topic yeah yeah. Uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah. okay uh picture a reality television network that has a special coming out Mm -hmm. and picture uh that it's themed around the bermuda triangle uh, okay. do, do you know about this, Andrew? So, okay. Mm-mm. So this uh, uh, reality TV network um, or this reality special goes out looking for things in the Bermuda Triangle. Who's got a guess as to what they found? At the Actually at the Bermuda Triangle? In in the water. Oh. <laughs> in the water as they were exploring. Oh, is this a story about the UFO looking ship that they pulled out of the water? Some some might think it looks like a UFO. 
how are they if this is if it's a story i'm thinking of they're way the f off if they're trying to look for stuff in the bermuda triangle that's the beauty of the bermuda triangle is that not only is it big but you get to shrug and be loosey-goosey when you count what things go okay. missing where because yeah. i know the biggest thing we found in the water was but well uh uh, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, uh, a TV show found a piece of the space shuttle Challenger. <laughs> oh, Jiminy! Is that amazing? Wow, it's yeah. big too. Like, like you can very much see the distinct um, uh, tile pattern on the bottom. Um, I mean, it's heartbreaking and 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 all of those things. But uh, a, a, a History Chan Channel exploring the Bermuda Triangle <laughs> show, <laughs> you know, the, the uh, from from the network that brought us aliens, uh, come Ber the this... Bermuda Triangle into cursed waters. I mean, this is uh, look not for nothing. Look, uh, they hit Peter. They uh, uh, yeah. they hit storytelling gold. Yeah. If only they, yeah. if, if only there had been a story that already tipped people off about interesting things in the Bermuda Triangle. Isn't that right, Andrew? Wait, what? Wasn't that a plot point in Angel Killer? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Bryce, I'm right about a lot of stuff. I'm Andrew Main. <laughs> but uh, th this is fascinating. I mean, what a place to lose something. You know, the a they didn't, I don't think well. that it's there though. Like, I'm, it's the, the flight path. That's the thing I heard. I'm like, I, the first I didn't know there's a Bermuda Triangle connection. I'm like, like their flight path was like completely different. So. Oh, well, huh. uh, I, I mean, for all we know, this could be they they needed to shoot some supplemental B roll, and so they went off the coast of wherever, and they were just. It's you, an amazing find. I'm not right. dismissing the find at all. I'm like, well, you didn't get it where I thought you were going to get it. Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, but, um, but but also that's sort of a hallmark of all the Bermuda Triangle stories is that uh, very rarely like a, a plane took off from New York headed towards the Caribbean, never arrived. Bermuda Triangle. You know. Lost. Blah. Right. And then when you do it on the East Coast, yeah. it's manifest. <laughs> oh, do they call it manifest? No, that's the that NBC show about a plane that gets lost. Got it. Yeah, I, I used to live, uh, when I lived in Fort Lauderdale, I used to live at, like, within a block or two of one of the points of the Bermuda Triangle, because it was the Naval Air Station in Fort Lauderdale was where this was. So I'm like, ah, oh, that's where I go to sleep at night, right at the edge. <laughs> uh, do, do we know where they found the wreckage? Uh, I thought I saw a picture showing it uh, fairly far north of where I expected it to be. Uh, yeah, let's... Uh, north of the Bermuda Triangle. Yeah, well, okay, look. Uh, we, we, uh, it is canon that this certainly did not end up in the Bermuda Triangle. It was a Bermuda Triangle show. Uh, let's see. I wonder if I can find that map. I'm one concerned about the lost film crew. <laughs> we started the Bermuda Triangle. You know, and... uh, wow. Uh, so, uh, you know what? I actually wonder... So, the the nature of storytelling is that it would truly be remarkable, outrageous, crazy, uh, and way out there for them to totally have just happened upon this. It seems to me that somebody somewhere found a thing and then they're doing a special and then somebody said, well, you know, I heard that there's something there. For, for example, um, here's the thing I didn't know. Um, 
Bryce, if you don't mind huh? doing a little Google foo, yeah. tell, uh, what allegedly is the first manned flight in an airplane? Uh, the, the first, the, the, the Kitty Hawk flight uh, from the Wright brothers. Yeah, the, the right. It would it would be yeah, right. Uh, does, this says uh, December 17, 1903 in Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. So, from what I understand, according to again, because I'm rereading that Psychology and Money book, uh, and one of the points he makes is that uh, pessimism is, is fairly easy and uh, it's literally low calories because it takes more calories to think hard, I believe. Uh, it, it, all you have to do is take the current and project it forward. And he points out that uh, in 1905, the Wright brothers were flying overhead of humans in Dayton, Ohio. And people who saw it would think, uh, that's a weird trick. Uh, it looks, you know, looks an awful lot like someone's flying, just like we would say, ooh, that looks an awful lot like telepathy. And it wasn't until vetted, hardened reporters showed up in 1908 that they were like, no, guys, we're flying. Uh, but then, you know, pessimism ruled again. And it's like, well, it's not like we'll ever ship plate, freight by air. And then, you know, sure enough, that's what we're I doing. <laughs> I have a book coming out where one of my main characters is an aviation pioneer and new, like is, you know, modern age of aviation. And, and literally what you just described is what she described is here's the problem, you know, cause a lot of like Elon Musk goes through is like, you know, first they tell you, you can't do it. Then you do it. And they say, no, you didn't do it. And they said, okay, you did it. But is it really that big of a deal? You know? And well, then, and, and then and, like, well, everybody's doing it. And that's the thing is apparently that in, in, in the book, he points out that, that, uh, there's a 1950s book about the history of aviation and the moment they had proven it, everyone's like, duh, everyone knew you could fly. <laughs> you <know? laughs> yeah. Well, it, it might be relative to like the, the thing that the Wright brothers don't get enough credit for. Um, they were weird. They were weird guys, but they were extremely, our brother credit for that. But <laughs> We're but all never changing married. our last neither name to Wright. Neither one of them ever got married. I think it was like Wilbur had said, there's not room in my life for an airplane and a wife. Um, so <laughs> wow, you know, there's that. Dedicated but to the grind. They would ar- <laughs> two things. They would argue with each other back and forth, and they would switch positions, forcing themselves to think about it from a different point of view, which is an amazing. How did you, because remember at that time, it wasn't like nobody else was going flying. Nah, there was like a worldwide effort to develop flight, kind of like Fusion Now. There was the Smithsonian. Smithsonian was paying, you know, one of the leading aeronautical experts of the time. Thousands of thousands of dollars in funding his research, you know, for this, which is why the Smithsonian for the longest time would not put the Wright Brothers airplane up because they were still hurt over the fact that they beat them to it. So you had this big effort around the world to do it. How did these guys do it? Well, there was that, that method for which they had to get closer to the truth. And the second thing was they kept failing and they went and said, what are, what are our assumptions here? And they pulled up the aeronautics tables that were written from like putting things in wind tunnels that were like 50 or 40 years old that everybody used. Everybody who was trying to do that, that was the holy grail. Like this is, if these are the ratios, they said, let's try it ourselves. They built their own wind tunnel, did their own and said, oh, these are wrong. And they changed it, went back to Kitty Hawk, and it flew mm-hmm. and changed avian history. But everybody else was like, well, if we had that information, you know, it's like two guys, that, two bicycle mechanics. That there is, um, if we can finally make it about me for a second. Um, <laughs> in, uh, as Did I'm, you invent the airplane? As I'm fond of pointing out, uh, first of all, just to put a bit in the Wright Brothers, um, uh, that book, that book, 
uh, the psychology of money is so good. He points out that uh, in 1899, there's a popular article explaining that, well, Mother Nature pretty much has figured out everything that there is to figure out. And there's no winged creature that flies through the air that's more than 50 pounds. The last time I checked, humans weigh more than 50 pounds. QED. Mm. There's no way humans could fly. You know, mm. uh, and of course, what we didn't know is, is aero, aerodynamics and lift. And as you pointed out, uh, Andrew, that they did their own research. Um, in economic circles, they talk about that gap as arbitrage. And it's where gigantic fortunes are made, uh, often speculative, sometimes resulting in disaster, as we talked about with crypto. But in the case of there's an informational arbitrage that, that I have been exploiting for now 14 years uh, in that if somebody under the age of 15 was told that, mm, I don't know, their, their Xbox was kidnapped and the only way they'd get it back is to learn this particular magic trick, they would spend all their time on their computer boxes trying to Google and find the answer. They would not find the answer and they would declare the answer has not been possible. He watched all the YouTube videos that there are and couldn't find it. Therefore, this trick must never be solved. The arbitrage <laughs> is me being 48 years old, has the ability to read a book from 1903. And as arcane and ridiculous and obscure as the grammatical impulses are in there, I at least understand, oh, you take the thing, put it in another thing. Now let me reimagine it with coasters. Here's, mm -hmm. and now it's a YouTube video. Um, yeah. The lazy zillennials. Uh, well, sorry. It's it's also all humans. I mean, I don't know why anybody would uh, go go through and read all this. Stuff. I want to I want to meet the fifteen year old who is the decider on what information is out. There. Here's my point: is that if if yeah. the known universe consists of YouTube tutorials, then why would you try to continue looking beyond the known universe? Because uh, it's not there. And then, meanwhile, if you're willing to you know, speak the language of, you know, archaeology or essentially archaeology, uh, then all of a sudden you have what uh, to a lot of people is brand new. The very first episode of Scam School, uh, I, I, I did a trick that was published by Martin Gardner a hundred years ago uh, that has almost certainly poisoned the lungs of children all over the world. You were saying? A uh, hundred years ago, a hundred years ago. Uh, I, oh, I think it was 1940s. Uh, now it's all, it's almost a hundred years ago now. Okay. Uh, 80s, the new hundred for Brushwood. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm okay with this. Uh, speaking of which yeah. I have one yeah, more. Well, oh, that, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Please. Uh, oh no, you, you go ahead. I'm going to send you a, a gift. Yeah. Uh, I like gifts. Um, I hope it's cake. <laughs> I, I think that's a great point because you know, I, uh, in working in AI and working at large models and stuff that are trained on a lot of internet data and whatnot, you start to become aware of, oh, this is still just a fragment of human knowledge. You know, most books still, you know, maybe has all the books now because of the Google Books project, but, but still there's so to, much more to read them and process them. Yeah. And then just the amount of data that's out there, it's just not online. It's not even a form of what we call data. It's in books and stuff. It's old. It's like, you know, MUM manuscripts you know our, our favorite magic magazine like all this all this sort of stuff that's there and then procedures and journal i mean it's just and it's it's the scary part is is that the internet you're like i guess that's it this data doesn't exist anywhere and it's like no somebody might have it you know like i'm really into like choose your own adventure books and stuff and looking up the history of that and like uh -huh. 
you know, there might be somebody with a, a CSV file somewhere with a bunch of summaries or stuff of these things. It's just not online. It's just not there, but it exists. Uh, Andrew, yep. there's um, yep. in the world of magic, there's a few props that are so powerful, so good that to even mention them by name is verboten in certain circles. And as have to part use names like TT. Uh, correct. Uh, as a matter of fact, we were watching Miami Vice uh, from 1984-85. Uh, uh, will you please read the title of the book that Swiatek is reading uh, as he sits in the front seat that I just uh, sent over to you? Uh, what's what's the title of that book he's reading? Oh, yeah, that's great. 50 Tricks with a Magical Device that I Will Not Name. God damn it. Um, <laughs> wow. Uh, I had that book. Great book. It uh, is a great so, book. So fun fact... Do you know who was one of the biggest exposures of the TT method? Uh, I, I believe the reputation unfairly goes to Penn and Teller because they taught a live audience, but they did not teach it on the air. But due to the Mandela effect, people remember it as though they taught it on the air. But I don't know the real answer. I don't know. This is not statistically, but uh, you know who... Do you know who the world's most famous person who did magic is? The world's most famous person who did magic. Oh, 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 oh. It's got to be Jackie Chan. Obama. I bet Obama did a trick at Muhammad, Muhammad, Muhammad Ali. Oh, yeah, that's oh. right. As a matter of fact, he did. In fact, he exposed it on 60 Minutes, and he did the trick. And then he said, uh, uh, the, anyway, Muhammad Ali is a very devout, devout person and religiously does not believe in deception. So anyway, here's how this guy made that vanish at Applebee's. <laughs> like, it was amazing. He'll show wow. you. So I was watching uh, The Dark Side of the Ring, uh, which is the Vice document in Hulu about pro wrestling, and I highly recommend it. But there was a, uh, they show Muhammad Ali when they, they, did a, they did a WCW stroke of genius took a bunch of players to, you know, North Korea, including Muhammad Ali. And then you see like Muhammad Ali making a silk vanish and then in front of them. And then he goes and he shows them and he smiles and shows them how it works. It's just, I've, I've, you know, I've had friends that ran into him and like Muhammad Ali did that trick for him, which I think is amazing. You know, that just shows you that guy's heart. The thing that he wants to do is show you a little magic trick. Uh, yeah. And, and, and also not for nothing shows that magicians, you got less to worry about. Just know 12 tricks and you'll be good <laughs> instead of just five, no 12. Yeah. Uh, wow. Yeah. Uh, I, and I, that method too, what's funny is, you know, I have friends that use that same method and you can want, you will never see it. You will never know that that's how they're doing something. Cause it just, you can take it like, oh, I can't mm -hmm. do this the simple way. Like, no, you put some time into it. And yeah, well, uh, the uh, uh, the the method in question, uh, just Google Muhammad Ali magic trick. You guys will find it <laughs> or um, yeah. just know that the method inherently is very deceptive. Mm -hmm. But even if you literally painted the method red, you could still pull it off if, if, if you mm -hmm. were skilled. Oh, mm. I think I yeah. I think I'm I think I'm following most of the conversation. Yes. There you go. Perfect. Yes. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, by the way, my book recommendation <laughs> is 50 Tricks with a Magical Device That Cannot Be Named. <laughs> it's a very good collection <laughs> from a while back. Mm. Uh I mean uh yeah, I mean we we I mean, especially with Scam School and Scam Nation, we've you know, we've we've done so much thought so much talking and thinking about 
exposing or or what sh- what we share, how we share it. Um, well, and even you know. now, and I guess we're veering into after things territory, but even now we have to rethink some of that because um, the availability on TikTok is different. Um, like, oh sure, we have to cut stuff differently on TikTok, and 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 it it does bring up some of those things of like, huh, you know, on YouTube we can we can show we can be as long as we need to. And we generally try to give people a fair shake on what we're showing and, right. and the like, angles hey, and stuff. You clicked on this video. You watched the five-minute performance. You spent seven minutes learning the uh, the method. You watched four minutes of right. discussion and breakdown or whatever. And you have to believe that that's not camera trickery or editing, right? Uh, even when sometimes it is. Um, you have to, you certainly have to believe that what you're seeing is a representation of reality. Yeah. Um, which is not always a given with magic or education or just youtube in general um and so i don't know i feel like we do we we do we do it very well and no one uh gives us too much guff that i care about yeah (laughs) (laughs) uh one more pick one more uh, excuse me thing to bring up which is cool uh there started they just started human trials of lab grown blood oh this is fascinating so can, if I'm guessing, there's nothing inherently, just like there's nothing inherently magical about fusion, look up at the sun, it works. Uh, there's nothing inherently magical about red blood cells. They, what, something Stuffed iron, the hold oxygen? They, it, it, they start with like stem cells that are able to produce red blood cells and start from there and then are able to grow mm. blood from that. Uh, so, uh, that's remarkable. Wow. And, well, I mean, I guess that's, so it, it's 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 uh, I guess uh, I don't know. It's it's interesting because stem cells are you know very flexible. They could do a lot. Um, so this is I don't know. Let's put another check in the yes stem cell column for Brace Castillo. Yeah, what they what they do is they start with a pool of about a half a million stem cells that results in about fifty billion red blood cells. They're saying that, like, we don't think this is going to replace traditional blood transfusion. We are just thinking about, like, rare blood disorders where you just can't, there's not enough, that type of supply of blood. And apparently the amounts they produce were just a couple spoons. Here's here's the thing I will say. There is, there's having an innovation, and then there's figuring out how to scale that innovation to another level. And that is a skill that we underappreciate. I would say that a certain entrepreneur who's been making a lot of headlines lately with his takeover of a social media company <laughs> does not get enough credit for his ability to scale things that nobody else could really scale because it is, is you'll hear like, well, here's, you know, there's a, here's this other car company. I'm like, they're producing cars. Like, yeah, they produced this other company, put 4,000 cars on the road that they sold for $80,000, but each one of those cars cost them $500,000 to make, you know, because they can't scale it. And so you take a thing like this, and I'm glad that they're being, you know, they're being like, hey, conservative, like only a little bit, rare blood types, whatever there. But what surprised me, some enterprising person goes in there, looks at this process and says, hmm, I think that we can increase this output by this X, X factor. And, you know, now all blood will just be synthetic. Uh, uh, well, and in fact, mm. I could even see like, uh, okay, so imagine, imagine if changing your entire supply of blood 
was as normal as changing the oil in your car. The thing where... people are famously good at keeping up with. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Well, uh, uh, I'll tell you what, man. If, if I stay young forever, I'm going to be real good at swapping out my blood every every 3,000 breaths. <laughs> Just Jiminy, that is very often. You're having I'm to go to the quick nap, loop. back up, swap my blood. <laughs> there, man, Jiffy Lube's got a new name. <laughs> Jiffy Lube needs a new name. I, I mean, how... Uh, okay, let's say let's say they do this. There's unlimited artificial blood. Um, which would you rather have? The artificial blood that closest m- mirrors human blood, right? It is designed to work and look and function exactly like human blood. It just doesn't have your DNA in it or something. Or do you want it to be like the Pennzoil high-end, you know... N- uh, do you want a premium blood? Is premium blood too icky? Because it, it oh. feels a little icky. Oh, no, no, no. I, hold on. I think I love this because, um, I mean, yeah. this is this is literally, we were talking about Peter Thiel wanting vampire blood from young people. Uh, so if you think of each red blood cell as a store of oxygen, then just like batteries, you've got normal, your batteries that your body makes. But then you've got like, I don't know, premium lithium ion that maybe at first, if we extrapolate. So first for only people with rare blood disease as life heroic life-saving measures, then as support measures for people who are on the frontiers for heroic works, whether it's, you know, repairing a space station and saving lives or what have you, mm-hmm. then elite performance athletes or whatever are, are using it and then all so the rich becomes, and famous well, well eventually everyone right i mean that's uh i mean that's i mean i'm not filling my car up with the nice stuff uh, oh really i'm getting <laughs> conventional yeah, wait, but but you wouldn't you wouldn't turn it down would you what what if that was all of a sudden like well, yeah, a benefit if it was that free, companies I mean, offer? Uh, yeah, that's not a good one. Would you rather? If, well, yeah. like, Bryce, would you, you're, would, you're... would you eat nachos for ten million dollars, Bryce? <laughs> but they right. have to have steak oh, no, no, no. on them. I, I thought you were saying that it felt icky. Uh, oh, like, so you mean like socially, so, yeah. socially icky? Not not like you wouldn't take it yourself. Right. It's a very haves and have nots, and right. it's very organic. It's very much. I'm not a like human. Dignity, the human spirit, whatever. But you know, Bryce, I like if, if none of us bought iPhones because people who couldn't afford them, you know, wouldn't be able to buy them, then nobody would have phones now. That's right. In fact, the phones you had would vanish. <laughs> Meaning that, like, if there was no market demand for it, there wouldn't yeah. be competition to bring the price down. So you're you're just killing people, really. No, well, uh, I, I, uh, <laughs> if I may, as as uh, 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 as press secretary, uh, <laughs> the, uh, uh, th- we were talking about failure subsidizing success. You know, it took it took the the T-Mobile uh, sidekick. To bring us the BlackBerry, which brought us, you know, closer to uh, the revolution of this uh, iPhone, which brought us to smartphones and so on. So, I mm-hmm. mean, plus also it's like, um, in theory, the best version. I think, I think this is one of those like, like I don't know. There's, in theory, it shouldn't uh-huh. matter uh-huh. that everyone, including at least one person on this panel, already has a Tesla, and I don't. Uh, in theory, I should be happy that Tesla is advancing <laughs> electric cars. In theory, you should have one by now. Is that what it sounds I like? Mean, <laughs> in theory, I I love my used Jeep Wrangler. But we there there have been more pushes from all manufacturers to make to use more EV, more battery, um, you know, powered 
uh, well, automobiles, and, and that is in no small part because of of the advances of Tesla and and making and then catering to the very very high out. end market with the Roadster that well, that and, subsidized and sticking with the concept, right? I mean, they could have probably at any point sold the Tesla name to Chrysler and had them make high you know cheap consumer hybrids that are as cheap as other consumer cars and still have these upper end things but they're or not they're sticking with the electric they're sticking with you know owning the process learning the process what have you so and, and i think that's i i i think that you know for that there's progress there because of that for sure but but does I, it bug you i <laughs> i <sighs> I I, I, I remember when the Roadster came out, and I remember going, oh, and I was covering that, and like, would have loved to have had one. And then when the Model S came out, you know, I'm like, oh man, I'd like to have that one, but it wasn't just justifiable. And the Model X with the wings, I'm like, I want to have that. Um, and then you know they came out with the Model Three, which you know was significantly less than the other ones. Of course, yeah. now the prices have creeped up on those. And I was cool with that. I was totally fine with that. I'm not going to be at that part of the marketplace, but I'll be at that market where, you know, when it gets to there. Yeah. So, uh, it, I guess this is a moment to acknowledge all of the heroes, the crazy people who went for treatments, especially biological treatments, um, before they were common, like people who had, uh, just they would just have a, a optometrist, uh, opto, obst, uh, op, not obstetrician, <laughs> uh, ophthalmologist. Just just take a scalp, scalpel to their eye. Like oh, I don't know, you're gonna lean back. I'm just gonna yeah. take this. Knife. Cut me, Rocky. Cut I'm me. A, I'm gonna cut your eye open. I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna personally with my fingers wedge this in and then lay it down. And then now we have lasers to do all that stuff. Like those those crazy people. Yeah. I, ugh. Do you remember who the pioneers were in radial keratotomy, which was the precursor to LASIK? I don't. Uh, Jer Jeremy Lasers. Jeremy Lasers. <laughs> uh, the Wright brothers. <laughs> the Russians. Really? The Russians oh, no. were looking at, and they would do literally an assembly line of how you'd see these people laying on these tables and they get moved from like station to station, which was terrifying. But they had actually, they were pioneers in RK. They're like, we're like, why don't you use lasers? And they're like, how many rocks do we beat together to make a laser? We're like, never mind. We uh, so, uh, 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 tough time to praise the Russians. But um, <laughs> when America was developing the first artificial heart-lung machine, this thing that would pump out blood, oxygenate it, and then pump it back in, uh, do you know what the Russians used? Oh, please tell me not a real heart. Ice! They figured out they could do open heart surgery if they just put somebody in butcher's meatpacking ice, ripped open his chest, and had a nurse squeeze <laughs> while they worked on it. Wow. And they were, they were able to successfully conduct heart surgery. This is why I couldn't watch that show, The Nick. I just, old timey <laughs> medical, I can't do it. It's I, leeches. Just, I watched it in Shane Ondalu in college. I'm good. I'm good on me medical grossness. Done. <laughs> oh, I'm reading up on RK, radio keratotomy, uh, invented in 1974 by Svetlotsky Fedorov, a Russian ophthalmologist. RK incisions are made with a diamond knife. Oh. That's because corneas are famously hard. <laughs> yeah. You got you to really... It's better to have away. it and not need it than need it and not have it. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, I'm glad we've got lasers. 
Yeah. I'm glad we got I'm glad we got cameras and lasers. I'm glad we have crazy people who will let So, oh, let Russians me give you the story. Their eyes open. So there were there were some prior Japanese had done some prior stuff in 1936, but in 1974, Slitzlatsa Fedorov removed glass from the eye of a boy who had been in an accident. The boy who required glasses for correction of myopia caused by astigmatism fell off his bicycle. His glasses shattered on impact and glass particles lodged in both eyes. Mm. To save the boy's vision, Fedorov performed an operation which consisted of making numerous radial incisions extending from the pupil to the periphery of the cornea in a radial pattern like the spokes of the wheel. After the glass was removed by this method and the cornea healed, Fedorov found that the boy's visual acuity had improved significantly. So some dumb kid took a spill on his cheap Soviet glasses that shattered into his eyes, and we now have, I have LASIK. That, uh, I, I guess that that speaks to that progress where at first it's life saving measures or or like what what else are you gonna do you're about to lose that eye sure and then it becomes well, what have performance we lost by making kids wear helmets what have we lost by <laughs> making kids? I mean uh, uh, looking cool <laughs> yeah. we're we're not as cool as we used to be with our broken yeah. necks well, what's I next you gotta stop kids the... from smoking cigarettes I've I've heard everything we're the concussion gang. <laughs> Hey, man, have we introduced ourselves? We're the concussion gang. Hey, well, you want to join the concussion uh, gang? That's what I'm in. I have a, a coral, uh, James Randy, the amazing Randy. Uh, there is a magic effect, which I will not describe how it works, but we'll call it the appearing cane, <laughs> in which a cane appears. <laughs> okay, oh, all right. The cane, the, the cane may have a sharp edge for no reason that's, you know, relevant, relevant to how it may work. Sure. Apparently, Randy once did the appearing cane, and it went up and it shot him and hit him in the eye. Oh, dear. <gasps> um, you know, there's a separate trick that I'm wait, familiar with. That wait, that, wait, wait, oh. wait. Wait, when it healed, he no longer needed corrective lenses. <gasps> For reals? Wow. For real. Well, you know, when, uh, real. when, when my dad, uh, my dad had... Um, surgery for uh, astigmatism a few years ago and and they were like we can fix we can just fix your lens we could just fix your eye while we're down here we have to cut the whole thing open we could just fix it while we're in there and they did and it's and it's 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 crazy to think about because because we have LASIK, which is m more non-invasive. But th I was watching; they were cutting his, his the, dang thing the open. Hood, the hood was open. Yeah, they, <laughs> they were had... like, "You want us to change the oil while we're here?" <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, but uh, I don't know. I'm going to keep my contacts for a while. I'll probably keep. My uh, yeah, yeah. Well, and we, I think we've talked a bit about this, but um, uh, I'm aware that I'm a prime candidate for LASIK, um, and I know it's probably superstitious because my parents' their experience is not mine. But, you know, my Ooh. previous generation, Ooh. they all got their eyes fixed. Ten years later, they all needed glasses again. And so I'm like, well, if I only have one coupon, it's sort of like, you know, my father-in-law mm. needs to get a knee replaced. And they're all like, yeah, you only get one. <laughs> and then after that, so if you can hold off, hold off. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Huh. Uh, Because I, I would have assumed that was, the, that's the whole meme about LASIK, right? It's like, oh, it's it's better than it's ever been before. <laughs> the, the newest iPhone is the best they've ever made. It's always the better, yeah. <laughs> um, I, but I, then they I, crust I, over, I had, or you need to touch them up. I had it 22 years ago. I had 22 years ago, and I still have like 20-20 vision. And I can, and they're telling me like, oh, you're going to need reading glasses. Uh, reading glasses probably help, but I can still pick up in a book, read. And, yeah. yeah, and that's true. I mean, I've got horrible vision. Even getting close to 20-20 would be an improvement over the Coke bottles I got to wear. Yeah, I, um, uh, I, I'm deeply in love with 
the fact that I have, I'm extremely nearsighted. Uh, as I'm fond of pointing out, uh, I can actually see my own fingerprint uh, uncorrected. But the moment I put on glasses, I, I don't know. It's like, if, if, I'd rather, I'd, would you straight up, if you had to decide, mm -hmm. to, you, you'll have to wear corrective lenses for one or the other. Would you rather be very nearsighted or very farsighted? Because I spend most have... of my time looking at a screen. Not for driving. I'd rather not need glasses. I, uh, I will, and yeah. I'm sure I'm going to need. Like I do keep reading glasses because I pick up really small print, you know. So I do. It has. I know that, that but I also know that a lot of it's the muscle thing, and that's mm -hmm. one of the dangerous things. Is it not dangerous? But you start to go. Oh, it's hard. It's like yeah, as you get older, those muscles much slower and you start wearing reading glasses and they don't get stronger. You know, they yeah. don't, they kind of get bad faster. Like I remember when I started, I had mild vision problems. Once I started wearing glasses. Oh, because you didn't went. need to flex as, as hard. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, Interesting. Uh, I would, I would keep, I'm, I'm also super nearsighted. I would keep that. I, I, I don't know if it's, I, I think the, this is selfish maybe, but when I'm, maybe. when I'm in bed uh, and it's like, in the morning or it's at night, I can just put my phone right here and just see it without needing to put the glasses nah, I'm on. on. I'm on that same team. So, team uh, near. Yeah. Well, uh, a listener, write in. You tell us what you think. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what sightedness you would like. <laughs> Check out the email list info with the, in the show notes. Uh, picks. And just yep. picks. I got a pick. What you got? Uh, I, um, uh, I'm going to, uh, uh, I'm gonna. I got two picks. I'm gonna double down on my pick last week of uh, Tunic, the um, or or two weeks ago the uh, the sort of adventure game where uh, you don't know what's going on and the game manual is written in a runic language. Um, I beat it over the weekend, um, and uh, I thought it's great. But the reason I think it is especially great is because. Uh, I got stuck. I got stuck real bad. There's a boss. Um, there's a boss at one point, and you, uh, I couldn't beat it. I couldn't beat the boss. I was like, I was banging my head against it for hours, and I, it was at the point where I was like, I'm gonna stop playing this game if I keep failing like this. Like this is not a threat. It's just that's how I respond to games and stuff. Uh, but Tunic is very cool. Has a lot of accessibility options for making combat easier or giving you more stamina. Uh, and so uh, I turned that on and I just vroom, finished finished the game and had a great time. I'm really glad I saw the end of the game and I'm glad I did it myself um, because I think there's also just like a really fantastic game here. If uh, if you like something like The Witness or uh, Fez where just not everything's given to you, some things are just never given to you, um, uh, I, I think you might like Tunic. Um, I even went back, so they've got the game manual and it's written in all these runic uh, characters and stuff as so if someone online has translated it all and it's like and it's great it's like an awesome story um and you don't need to do that to to understand it but it is all there it's not just gibberish like there's actually a a phonetic system so you could learn that language in the game if you really wanted to spend the time so uh uh that's that's tunic and then the other game is uh uh, uh let's build a zoo on uh, i've been playing on that on the playstation and that's really cool. It's um, uh, it's exactly what it sounds like. You build a zoo, and it's got this really cool pixel art style, um, and uh, it lets you build like really big, uh, detailed 
zoos. Um, they got a lot of animals. They've got CRISPR in it, so you can make hybrids. Like, uh, what do I have? Like, I have a, a goose capybara hybrid. And so he's got uh, the big capybara body and then, like, a little goose head. Um, stuff like that. That's a, it's a fun game. Let's build a zoo. So check those out. Uh I think we've made a game in and of itself of not saying the game that I'm playing uh, <laughs> because Justin and I will descend into craziness. Uh, but uh, boy, Marvel Snap is so good uh, from the team that worked on uh, Hearthstone. Um, uh, I, I never played much World of Warcraft. I did play Warcraft. But uh, so as a result, the lore doesn't resonate me, or resonate with me the way the Marvel Universe does. Um, I had one of those great moments where I realized after having a card for weeks or a couple weeks, why it does what it does. Um, uh, Andrew, did you ever read the secret wars comic books? Like the original secret wars yep, back in the early eighties. Yeah. Yeah. Spider-Man got the symbiote suit. Oh yeah. Correct. Oh, yeah. Correct. So Love there, it. there's a card in the game, uh, Colossus, his special ability is that he cannot be destroyed. And I was like, well, that's weird. Why is that? And then, this morning, I remembered the fact that of all the heroes who get destroyed in one cataclysmic blast from Doctor Doom, uh, only Colossus survives because uh, Claw whispers in Doctor Doom's ears that, well, I don't know, what if he turned into metal just as that bomb went off? And Doctor Doom, having infinite power at that moment, says, oh, my God, you planted that in my subconscious. And now, because of rules, it must have happened. And, uh, and then it did. Uh, but anyway, uh, it, it, like that's some deep lore. A 40-year-old comic book that I loved as a kid is the reason for a gameplay dynamic in this card game. It's, it's delightful. It's great. They're really short three to six minutes tops each one. It's awesome. Yeah. It's uh it's, it's pretty cool. And they've got a, their onboarding stuff is very good. Like the first couple of hours that you play are scripted to hell, but they're, they're fantastic. They make you feel like you never know when you're getting out of that loop of, um, am I in the tutorial or am I playing the game? Yeah. Is this a real person? Um, but there's oh, wait, no, that. That, that, that dude's name definitely is a phallus. Okay, then that's a real <laughs> okay, person. I'm in the real thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Andrew, you got a pick? First, I'm going to is the Dark Side of the Ring, which was a uh, Vice documentary series, three seasons on pro wrestling and stories that you may have heard. And they go they go deeper into the details of like the Montreal Screwjob. Um you know, they follow up on, you know, there was a great documentary years ago on Jake, the snake Lawler. And then they kind of go into this and go more into his, his, you know, he had his brother and sister and, and just different. Some of the high profile stuff you saw there, uh, the, you know, some of the, you know, the dark stories of wrestlers, you know, killing family members and themselves. And then some mm -hmm. of the, the, you know, other sorts of stuff like Owen Hart's death, et cetera. So, uh, I, I, I thought it's pretty well, you know, fairly well done and, you know, they have to make allowances for not having access to they they use some wdb footage so i think they're kind of working in the line of what they can get away with but then they do these reenactments which i actually think they did pretty well like they, they're kind of like they get people that, like you'll see somebody we're in the art you know locker room talking and you see this sort of abstract locker room with some guy talking to like a guy a blur one blur talking to a blur that you're pretty sure is supposed to be hulk hogan so i think they did that pretty well you don't feel like you're you're missing too much out on the visuals so i enjoyed that uh, it's great. It makes me um, understand mu much more about wrestling. I remember watching, um, I think it's the slap heard around the world <laughs> about John Stossel getting smacked down. Uh, it, it, yeah, it was amazing. Nice. 
Yeah, it's funny is that Dr. D, the guy who did that, David Schultz, was actually a friend of my father's because he became a bounty hunter. And my dad had fugitives that David Schultz, because they talk about David Schultz, the guy who did that when I become a bounty hunter. And so like, that's why I knew him. I've got a post, I've got a you know signed autograph from Dr. D saying, hey, let me know if your brother picks on you. I'll take care of him. Wow. So uh, <laughs> that was what, and then I've you know, met John Stossel. So it's sort of like, well, I never asked him about that. And then uh, they did one on uh, uh, Chris Canyon and, Chris Canyon was a very complicated kind of guy who uh, eventually ended up taking his own life. And throughout his wrestling career, he was trying to deal with both bipolar disorder and the fact that he was gay. And at a point in time where if you came out earlier on like that, then you would become, you know, the clown or whatever. But um, I had met Chris before. Like uh, Chris and uh, uh, Mitchell, the guy who's the... Van Horn, the guy who's like Ted, Mr. Rules, who speaks about it. He brought him and another one of the wrestlers. that was like I, Iceberg, you know, over by the James Randi Foundation once. And I showed him around, hung out, went and, you know, grabbed some lunch with him and talked to them. And it's just a super, super nice guy. But then you just watch, you know, that that exit story. And then his life continues on. And then, you know, Chris went through a lot of difficulties and, you know, sad. But they talked to a number of, you know, younger wrestlers that he helped out, that, that he helped train and, one guy talks like, yeah, we're I'm putting on this little match in the middle of nowhere. And, you know, you know, Chris, who was still had a big, you know, fame from his WWE days, came out and uh, you know, went out and uh wrestled and let him beat him, you know, put him over. And, you know, he said that he didn't he didn't have to do that, but he did that. He wanted me to win in front of my crowd and did the heel, the show Canyon being the heel, like, you dummies, I came here. Like just it's so funny because you watch like the shtick of like, you know, like you know, you single tooth, blah, 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 whatever. And the, ah, and then, you know, then Chris gets beat and that's just, yeah. that's awesome. Wow. So that's cool. And you saw that on, on Hulu, you said dark side of the ring. Yeah. Hulu, Hulu has that. Yeah. Very cool. So my other, my other, other pick, small pick is, uh, you know, it's a great soundtrack, like a really kick-ass soundtrack. What? Andor. Oh my God! Have you noticed that they're changing up the mu- like? It's the same theme done in a different style, and then one time they just did a Blade Runner style. Oh my God! I was, I was so I was going to ask like, can we talk about Andor? Uh, that was a great episode yes. ten. Yeah, they do. They have episodes. Volume one is episodes one through four. So I think they're doing three. They're going to be doing like three installments of that. Great show. Really enjoy it for the Star Wars universe. Uh, yeah, Seems, and you know, uh, there are let, theories let that ups make Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what's that uh, oh no I'm, I'm i'm stopping myself from just gushing <laughs> about andor bryce has had enough <laughs> yeah it's fine it's a good shot it's good it's good even i've watched every 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 episode twice oh i believe it oh i believe yeah. it <laughs> I did that Mandalorian early on, and then I realized if I want to watch this episode again, just watch next week's episode. Oh, <laughs> all right, all right, all right. How's it, how's it been? <laughs> it's been weird. Huh? Really weird, guys. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program.